Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. DC subway station. He proceeded to open a violin case, pick up the instrument, lay the case out flat in front of him and start playing. The busker played for 43 minutes. While more than a thousand people walked past, mostly on their morning commute. It took a while for the first person to even recognize and give a visible look that someone was playing. One, uh, a few people stopped to listen for a minute or two or three, and one man walked past and then kind of stopped dead in his tracks as he caught onto it and realized just how good the busker was and went back and he stayed for nine minutes. But most didn't take any notice, and whilst a few of them had headphones on, this was still before the time when virtually everybody on public transport was plugged in and listening to whatever music they'd curated or podcast that they'd picked for the day. Over 43 minutes, this busker collected 40, uh, sorry, a little over $30. And while that story might sound pretty unremarkable, 30 bucks isn't bad for a city busker, especially back in 2007, the intriguing detail is that this musician was none other than the violinist Joshua Bell who three nights earlier had sold out Boston's Symphony Hall, where guests had paid on average $100 a seat. Bell is a prodigious talent, a Grammy award-winning musician who has performed in concert halls and palaces the world over. One magazine, Interview Magazine, uh, once said that his playing, and I quote, does nothing less than tell human beings why they bother to live. He's that good. The violin Bell was playing was a 1713 Stradivari, an instrument worth upwards of 3.5 million. And the music? Six classical masterpieces by composers such as Bach, Schubert, and Massenet. In an underground railway arcade, a banal setting at an inconvenient time, Joshua Bell went virtually unrecognized. By many, the beauty of his playing went even unnoticed. And it's an interesting social experiment, of course, and it was set up by the Washington Post, the newspaper, to see what people's responses would be to something like this. Would they stop and recognize beauty or would they just go right past? But it leads to an interesting question, doesn't it? What if we, like the crowd, are at some level of risk of missing something profound because we're too busy paying attention to our own lives, to pulling off family Christmas lunch or to anticipating that new job, that completed home renovation or that summer holiday? And especially at Christmas time, a holiday that celebrates and remembers the Christian story. If we've heard the Christmas story before, 
What if we've heard it, but we've missed what it really means? The gospel writers who tell the story of Jesus' life, the gospel writers Matthew and Luke, two of the four who tell the story of the nativity, they begin their story of Jesus' life by telling about the historical facts of his nativity. They tell the story of Joseph and of Mary, of emperors and censuses, of angels and shepherds and magi, and that little town of Bethlehem that we sung about before, a small town in an obscure nook of the world, famous only because it had the claim of being King David's town, the greatest king of Israel's past. The gospel writer John, who we read, he knows all of these things. It's not as if he hasn't heard the stories and isn't familiar with them. He knows that he's beginning his gospel in an unconventional way. But he also knows that we're unlikely to imagine that this is how God shows up in our world. And so John begins his account of Jesus with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It might sound confusing at first, but as you read John, you get to realizing pretty quickly that the Word is the Son, and that the Son has been with His Father for all eternity, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and with them, the Holy Spirit. And the crucial thing that John wants us to see, the whole reason he's writing his gospel is because this word, this God has come near. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us. That's the Christmas story in a nutshell, about as condensed as you can get it. The word became flesh. God comes to dwell or to live with his people. A similar idea is picked up in that final verse, the one the invisible tap dancing man introduced us to, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. And right there, John's telling us not so much what happened that first Christmas, but what it all means. No one has ever seen God. It's a statement that's both obvious and offensive. Obvious because anyone who reflects on God draws the conclusion pretty quickly that God is not like everything else. He's not part of this material universe. He's not a thing that can be kicked or experimented on or seen. Which is why science, scientists who know what they're talking about know that science, which deals with what can be seen and kicked and experimented on, doesn't really cut ice either way on the question of God. God's invisible, unseen spirit. But what John says is also mildly offensive because he's not just talking about seeing with our eyes. He's talking about seeing in the sense of knowing. And so what he's saying is that no one has ever seen God in the sense that no one has ever really known about God. Now think about that for a moment. The overwhelming majority of people throughout history and across cultures have claimed to have known God. You might well have views about God yourself and what the divine being is like and what he approves of and doesn't approve of, what he thinks about this world and what he thinks about you. But John says no one has ever really known God. 
We might have hunches or opinions or suspicions, but when it comes to knowing the true God, we don't have the first clue about him, at least not on our own. And that's why verse 18 is so important. No one has ever seen God, John says. And how do you know somebody, not just know about them, but know them personally in a relationship? But then he goes on. No one has ever seen God, but it is God, the only Son, who's close to the Father's heart, who's made him known. The meaning of Christmas at its core is that God comes near into our orbit. That's the definition of the word incarnation, that big word that Christianity uses to speak of what happens in this moment. God takes on human flesh. The invisible becomes visible in the face of the baby born in Bethlehem. In Jesus, the one who is, it says, close to the Father's heart or even more, you could say, in the bosom of the Father, right there, up against the Father. The divine Son, who is God himself, he becomes like us so that we might know him and be in relationship with him. C.S. Lewis, the author of the uh, Narnia children's books, you may know of them, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, and a series that go with it, captures the significance of this in a line from the novel, The Last Battle. Queen Lucy, one of the characters who travels the story, she says, yes, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Bigger than our whole world because the one in that stable, born of the virgin, was the creator who made everything. He entered the human story, taking the stage. And why did he do it? He did it, John says, to make himself known. Christianity says that when you know Jesus, you know God. And that's because Jesus says himself as much in John chapter 14, he tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. And what that means is that if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, not just know about him, but if you, if you trust him, if he is your Savior and your Lord, then you can have great confidence. It's not that you know everything about God, as if the universe, let alone the human mind, could contain, could contain all that there is to know about him. But what it is to say is that God really is the God who is revealed in Jesus. Jesus is who God is, the one who laughs, cries, shouts, heals, loves, stoops, suffers, bleeds and dies on behalf of others. But what that also means is that Christmas is a moment to pause and to consider and to make sure that we're not passing by this profound mystery, this profound moment, a moment even more glorious than the beauty of Joshua Bell playing at a subway. Christmas is an invitation 
from a God who loves us and wants us to know him and be known by him as children loved by him. And so today, as you celebrate, as you eat, and as you drink, and as you rest, and as you open presents, would you take some time to remember and reflect as well on this God who comes near so that we might know him?